Here's the thing about Jesus. He loves you right where you are. And he loves you enough to move you to a better place. This is All Things New with Pastor Barry E. Fields. I don't know if you've seen what I consider to be the greatest movie of all time, and you're free to argue with me if you want, but you'd be wrong in eternity, and that is the 1994 Oscar-winning Forrest Gump, where Tom Hanks plays a character that vicariously experiences pretty much everything during his time in American history. And perhaps the best scene in that movie is a scene which wasn't fully intentioned. It's when he meets his friend, Lieutenant Dan. They walk around. Lieutenant Dan's had a hard time. He's lost his legs in Vietnam, and he's still alive in part due to his friend Forrest Gump, who saved his life when he didn't want him to. He wanted to die a martyr. He's forced to be alive, so he kind of parties his life away. Gump helps him out. And at one point in the movie, in a moment of drunkenness, he looks at him and he says to him, Gump, have you found Jesus? And Forrest responds with, I didn't know I was supposed to be looking for him, sir. And I am convinced that when many of us give our testimony, we talk about when we found the Lord. I'm so glad that I found Jesus. When the truth is, the scripture paints an entirely different picture that you don't find Jesus, he finds you. And most of the time, it's when he's the last thing that you're looking for. John 4, beginning in verse 1. When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. He had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, about noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. A Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. For the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you know now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. 
Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that ever I did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. For some reason, when Jesus leaves town, it's because he hears about the Pharisees who heard that he was baptizing, not personally, but through his disciples, he was baptizing more than John the Baptist, just as John the Baptist had predicted. This one coming after me, I'm not worthy to stoop down and unloose his shoelaces. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus leaves the ministry and departs into Samaria. And there's speculation as to why it is, but I would say what's true then is always true now. If you're going to serve God, you'll have more trouble from the church than you will from the lost. It's a lot easier to minister to the lost than it is to the church sometimes because the church gets set in their ways. And the problem with the church often is that we forget what it's like to be lost. We've been in here so long having our preferences and our ways, doing our things, that we don't even take the time to witness to people outside the church and we don't even take the time to consider what would it be like to someone who doesn't realize they're lost. But thank God Jesus isn't like us, amen? And when he moves through Samaria, the Bible says he has to pass through it, but he doesn't have to stop. And yet he does. Because in order to reach the lost, you have to go where they're at. He sits down at the most popular spot in all the city in the middle of the day, and he meets this woman where she is, weary from his journey. As the heat is pressing down on him, this Samaritan woman comes to draw water. And she does it at high noon. Now, most of the time when you draw water in a desert culture, you do it when? You do it early in the morning, you do it late at night. Because if you do it in the middle of the day, that's the hottest, worst time to go. But this woman is so concerned with not running into people, with not being accused of people, with not having to socialize with people, that she would rather come at the worst point of the day than to be judged by those who think they have their lives together. You know why most people don't come to church? Because they've been there. And the church has been found wanting. Here's this woman in the middle of the day, as it's hot, a Samaritan woman. And she says, she hears the voice of Jesus say, give me a drink. 
Now, to you and I, this doesn't sound all that difficult. If someone's coming with a pitcher and you don't have one, and they say, give me something, and you say, give me something to drink, it's the natural thing to do so you can get water. But for here, it's a very unusual situation because Jesus is a Jew and this woman is a Samaritan. And we know that the Jews of that day thought nothing of Gentiles. In fact, the scripture itself says that they thought of people who were non-Jews as dogs. But in the Samaritan's case, it was almost worse because they were half Jew and half Gentile. It's like what Jesus says at the end of Revelation, be hot or cold, but don't be lukewarm. I'll spew you out of my mouth. And for many in the Jewish world, it was better to be a Jew or to be a Gentile, but to be a Samaritan, to be halfway there. And it's why this woman is so shocked at Jesus talking to her that she says to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? But Jesus doesn't look down on her, as so many people undoubtedly did. In fact, his response is startling. He says in verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. What Jesus is saying between the lines is there's a difference between a drink and a drink. You can get water of this earth and be satisfied, but the water of Christ will satisfy the very longing of your soul that most people walking around looking for satisfaction don't realize the very thing that this woman did not, that they're lost and that they can't find what they're looking for apart from the intervention of God. So she responds to him, sir, just looking at the obvious, the surface level. You have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? She asked him a touching question. Are you greater than our father Jacob? The answer to that is yes. He gave us the well and drank from it himself. Now, wells had deep spiritual significance in the Old Testament. You'll remember that God made a promise to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And at that point where he was able to draw water, even when he brought the children of Israel out of Egypt on the brink of the promised land, he used it by signs of water. And that, that well was that permanent significance that the promises and blessings of God would flow to those who kept his word. And so here they are, right in front of that well, the well that Jacob himself had drank out of. And Jesus says this in verse 15, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. For the water that I give him will become to him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. There's a lot of things that can quench your thirst, but there's not very many things that can quench the starvingness of your soul. Jesus knows what this is. She says, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus, knowing her heart, says, go call your husband and come here. She responds with a half truth, but not the whole truth. I have no husband. And Jesus gives the best comeback line perhaps ever in scripture. You are right in saying, I have no husbands, for you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Jesus knows more about her than she does about herself, and he knows more more about you than you know about yourself, too. Some people say, I need to read the Bible. You don't have to read the Bible. The Bible reads you. 
better than any book ever could. And you think that if you just line out your life a certain way and present public appearances and everything's going to be okay, when God says, you're not fooling anybody, especially me. But notice what he doesn't do here. He doesn't condone her sin, but he also doesn't condemn her because he knows what the mission is. He doesn't lose sight of it here. She said, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet, another understatement, the prophet to end all prophets. And Jesus says something to her incredibly profound. He says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. He says, we worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. It's not enough to worship God with your mind. You also have to worship him with your heart, with everything that you have. And shame on a culture that can get excited about sports like nobody's business, but fails to worship and honor the Lord in his house. To worship him in spirit and in truth. And she she receives this answer. She says, we're waiting on Christ. We're waiting on the Messiah. And and you can imagine, it's like she's, she's being hit right between the eyes right here. He says, I who speak to you am he. And here's what she does. Now, Jesus has done this. He's put her on the spot. She didn't want to talk to anybody. He's called her out when she didn't want to be called out. She said, go and get some other people. And how does this woman respond? She says, not get away from me, you strange person. Not stop judging me. Here's what she says. She says, come see a man who told me all that ever I did. Can this be the Christ? If you don't hear anything else in this sermon, I want you to hear this. When they know that you love them, you can say anything to them. When they know that you love them with God's love, you can say anything to them. Now, here's the thing. If the church would ever really start loving people, I'm not talking about loving people that are here every week. That's important. But I'm talking about really, genuinely loving, broken, lost people. You would not be able to keep them from walking in these doors because they're desperately looking for that which they don't even know they're searching. The love of God that satisfies but here's what you got to do. You got to meet people where they are, not where you'd like them to be. That's the whole process of discipleship. Look, Jesus had a dozen guys. He walked around with them for three years. One of them ended up betraying them, and most of the time, they didn't get it. Most of the time, they would ask questions, and Jesus would say, You failed the seminar, you haven't passed the test. And if Jesus had trouble making disciples, trust me, you're going to have trouble too. But when they finally got it, they turned the world upside down. That if we'll love them, we'll stick with them. 
and we'll point them to the water. Jesus says, that is, is the mission. Here's the thing about Jesus. He loves you right where you are. And he loves you enough to move you to a better place. Jesus never says, stay where you are. He says, I love you where you are. And I'm going to help you be that which you were originally created to be. He doesn't condone but also doesn't condemn. It's, it's truth and love, but also love and truth. You can't be on one end or another of the spectrum. You can't be a truthful person who never shows love, because that's not real truth. You can't be a loving person who never reveals truth, because that's not real love. You have to be truth in love, both. And knowing that tension, that timing, when to encourage, when to rebuke, when to lead, when to step back, the only way you figure that out is the wisdom that comes from experience and from those who have gone on before. It's a close walk with the Spirit of God. But if we will love them, oh, what a difference that would make. There was a thread on Twitter this past week. Somebody asked a question that eventually went viral, and the question was, what is the most random act of kindness a stranger has ever shown you? It was a simple question, really, but they talked about it from several different perspectives. One talked about a military man gave up their plane seat for them, and that person got to make Christmas with the family, and the other person did not. The other person talked about being lost in the middle of the street, and the person just sat there with them until they could find help. One person talked about how one of their friends had walked by and said something that was kind of unkind about their physical appearance. And a random stranger walked by and said, I think you're a beautiful person, and walked off. But they all had something in common. Showing love when love was often the last thing you would have expected. Church, I promise you, if you want to die, here's what you do. Put a sign out on the door that says, you kids get off my lawn. Put a sign out there that says, no smoking, no dancing, no kissing, no cussing, no skateboarding, no whatever. You'll keep them out. But if you'll love them enough to show them this is what it means to live life in Christ. That will take care of itself. But it won't happen if they don't get in the doors. I like to think, I don't know the scripture saying this for true, but I like to think, here's Jesus helping a Samaritan Showing love to someone he was not supposed to show love to. A little bit later, Jesus tells another story of a man down on his luck. Priest walks by, offers a prayer. Somebody else walks by, says, God bless you. And as this man is beaten and bloodied in a ditch, who is it that comes along but is a Samaritan? And I wonder if that Samaritan looked around and he said, you know, that's a Jew. I really shouldn't be 
interacting with them. I'm not supposed to help them. <laughs> Maybe he said, I'll just pass on by. But, but just as he was about to step around this man and go on, maybe something caught his eye and he remembered, you know, there was someone who came to Samaria, sat down at a well, and he was a Jew, but he told that woman who was a Samaritan, everybody talked about her. She was the town gossip. She couldn't do anything right. In fact, she wouldn't even show up when everybody else was there because she didn't want to hear about it. But that Jew showed more love and more kindness to a Samaritan that everyone ever has. And now I'm going to respond in kind. And so here we have the example of the Jew helping out the Samaritan, but the end story is the Samaritan ends up helping the Jew. It comes full circle. A lot of times we do things based on response, but you can't do that. Jesus has these ten lepers come. He heals them all. Only one comes back and says, thank you. And you say, well, I'm done because someone didn't say thank you. But Jesus doesn't do it based on their response, and you shouldn't either. He does it solely based on the Father's response toward him. Don't love other people because they love you. That's shallow. Love other people because God has loved you. That's divine. And when the world sees that, you won't be able to stop them. People say, Barry, are we always that way? No. But we'd sure like to be. And when the world sees that love, Jesus rejoices more over the one lost sheep than he does over the 99 that are here all over. You know, you can't affect a lot of things in the government nowadays. I would have loved to have canceled time change entirely for spring forward. It's archaic system. I think I'd have some support in getting a constitutional amendment to, to alter all of that. I'd probably have some support within this room. You really can't alter a whole lot without some big movements, but you want to stop heaven in its tracks. You want to put eternity on Paul's Lead a lost person to Jesus. Because the Bible says every time that happens, the angels in heaven stop what they're doing and break out. You can literally stop the universe by leading someone to Christ. I pray that there's a day coming in this community where the angels of heaven and all who are gathered around the throne will say, I wish those people in Hancock County and Perry County would slow down because we sure are tired of clapping. If the love of God would ever be in us, what a difference that would be. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the broadcast. If you found it helpful, please consider sharing it with your family and friends. For more information, check us out online at barryefields.com.